0: Hi, it's Alex here. Just a quick one before we start. Virtual Production Revolution is our new six-part video series available now at futureoffilm.live. Featuring in-depth interviews with leading executives and creators, the series explores the now and future of virtual production and shines a light on the pioneers who are making this revolution a reality. So that's Virtual Production Revolution, six-part video series available for free now at futureoffilm.live. Hello and welcome to the Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is a show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. Today's guest is Robin McNichols, who is co founder and director of the award winning creative studio Marshmallow Laser Feast. It always makes me smile just saying that name. Uh, Where he has directed a myriad of immersive experiences, large scale installations, and live performances. Exploring new sensory perspectives that challenge our relationship to the world around us plays a key role in Robin and the team at MLF's work. His interest in full immersion led to a five-year deep dive into virtual production and interaction techniques, which has informed the development of mixed reality storytelling methods for new forms of audience engagement. What does this look like in practice? Well, earlier in 2021, this manifested in the pioneering collaboration with the Royal Shakespeare Company's online interactive interpretation of A Midsummer's Night Dream. In Dream, Robin and the MLF team utilised virtual production and real-time techniques to create an interactive, immersive digital world for the RSC performance and they played a critical role in the show's pivot to a fully online experience during lockdown. In this experience, in this episode, we explore the creative and technological process of Dream and how virtual production tools can be utilized in a live theatrical experience. Robin also talks about the business of making interactive experiences and shares his incredibly thoughtful and articulate perspectives on the future of audiences and screen storytelling. If you're enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay in touch. Firstly, you can subscribe for updates at the home of Future of Film. That's futureoffilm.live. Here you can check out all five seasons of the podcast and dig into other free resources like the Future of Film Report, the Future of Film blog, and also check out the Future of Film Summit. So that's futureoffilm.live. And why not just also hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice? to ensure you don't miss another episode of the show. We have some amazing guests coming up in season five, so be sure to hit subscribe and check out futureoffilm.live. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Marshmallow Laser Feast's Robin McNichols. And i start the show by asking Robin to describe... The project Dream.
1: The project Dream is um, a large collaboration, and what it effectively presents is a concept demonstrator for our collective idea for what could be entertainment for the audiences of the future. It celebrates um, the coming together of the Royal Shakespeare Company, London Philharmonia, Marshmallow Laser Feast, um, as well as uh, a massive uh, consortium involving researchers, Manchester International Festival um, and others, who pulled together to present a live show, a live online show for those who, in the pandemic, could... Tune in via their laptops, mobile phones, tablets, and at um, given points in time, watch um, a performance driven by live motion capture. And if the the project was inspired, um, and the story world was built, um, lifting cues both environmentally and. Th- from a character standpoint, from *A Midsummer Night's Dream*.
0: Yeah, and it and it's a really singular vision, I think, of of *Midsummer's Night Dream*. Tell me a little bit about. Well, there's so much to dig into. Um, what were some of the? You were telling me previously that when you started the project, it was conceived as a live stage show is that right and and if so at what point did you have to pivot and adjust to the online version
1: yes uh, completely in fact we had we were just about to move into the building uh, where we were going to carry out a location-based experience um in June of uh, 2020 the Philharmonia Orchestra had just recorded at Alexander Palace on I think it was Friday the 13th in March um, 2020 Um, and then everything went into lockdown and so we had to painfully uh, let go of that live show which was very different to the dream show that was uh, presented in uh, 2021. Um, and that was really difficult uh, for everyone involved because there's so much passion, so much time and energy went into that. And uh, But we had to kind of go through a bit of a grieving process and um, we approached the funders and said, look, so much of this could be um, adapted and reworked um during the pandemic for online audiences and um, so instead of a live show with live visitors entering a bricks and mortar building um it would still be a live show celebrating um all of the kind of um r d elements that the consortium had been exploring and and the r d elements were vast um marshmallow laser feasts focus for example one of them was deformable object tracking which sounds quite technical and in fact it was quite fiddly uh, but effectively it's the tracking of objects, props, scenery, things that move. Um, The motion capture scene has got really good um, ability to track objects that are rigid but when stuff starts moving like most things in the real world that uh, are organic, Um, for instance, trees um, uh, and um, other props, uh, other creatures, other characters. Um, That was was our focus. And there was a whole range of other um, explorations as well, all pointing to what techniques, technologies, tool sets, uh, future practitioners. future practitioners would employ um, in live performances of the future.
0: And how central was Unreal Engine or real-time technology in in realizing this? Was that where you created everything?
1: Yeah, something really exciting is happening within the um, games engine arena. And that is that, their capacity to bring technologies and departments together is has, over the last few years in particular, vastly improved. And so virtual production techniques, the, the, the fact that you can bring projections, show control, lighting, interaction, sound, audiences, and performances together um, in one environment. Um, in one manageable environment as well is is huge for makers like ourselves. And so whether it's Unity, Unreal Engine, or other games engines, there's a bit of a paradigm shift because the production values have improved a great deal. And that is down to two things really, the software improvements as well as the hardware that is just really coming on um to the point where the gaming aesthetics that that we all know you know if you if if you see um screenshots uh cutscenes from computer games you know they we're still in a position where they can be read as computer games however that's rapidly moving into, and the line is blurring between that and uh, photorealism. And um, you can see from the, the other side of the industry in um, the Mandalorian camp, for example, and virtual productions there, where effectively the these two worlds are colliding. And it's really fascinating as a result. But there's, in the context of live shows and um, live events this is huge because it means the role of the audience changes and as well as the audience being playing more of a, an active role um, in a two-way stream and uh, and exposing new dialogue between the performers and the audience uh, uh, as well as the makers in the audience as th- there's just a, a swade of, of other benefits as well just basic things like the way that we can cue lights and cue sound and employ all of the um, commonplace techniques that are employed in the theatre industry to these new emerging live um, digital events.
0: That's very, very exciting. I definitely want to come back and talk more about the the way you see the audience changing or the, the way the audience is integrated into the storytelling changing. Um, but just going back to the, the kind of virtual production side of things we talk a lot about virtual production uh, future of film on a on a filmmaking kind of perspective but you know you had so many different creative contributors to this project. Obviously, Marshmallow, Laser Feast, uh, Royal Shakespeare Company. The performers themselves. Can you give me an example or, or, or paint a picture of how you you how you collaborated using that um, uh, using the real time engine? Was there a particular moment or a particular uh, example which? and you felt, wow, this is amazing, we're we're, we're collaborating in a different kind of way now.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say that one of the biggest um, realisations was landing in Portsmouth um, and stepping into the mocap volume, which was a generous volume um, for what we were trying to do however was had a footprint of seven by seven meters and we realized we're going to have to be pay lots of attention to the fact that seven by seven meters is not necessarily that large a stage to perform in for the duration of our live production and so we had to come up with techniques virtual camera trickery and work collectively with the performers um, and with transitions to in a real time context to just problem solve and I think that that was the moment where it it felt most compelling that it was real time we had lots of theories about how it was going to work we had lots of creative ideas and solutions, but it wasn't until we entered the volume and started working with the acting company and the movement director, Sarah Perry, where we realized that we couldn't have done this had it not been real time, because the collaborative exchange involved Real-time tweaks in the games engine in in the kind of virtual world as well as physical world. It was it was we always regarded as a mixed reality stage, and so we had staging props, you know, blocks, cubes in the space that at one moment would represent a stone on the ground of a forest floor, and moments later it would be represented as the branch of a tree in the canopy and so there was lots of attention placed on making sure the actors felt comfortable about being able to navigate this virtual environment um and <laughs> an emphasis on the suspension of disbelief because you know if there's not a forest in the world that is as flat as an ice rink and so we, we were aware that elevating our cast and playing with height and varying, that was important. But in order for a performer's foot to land and there be a branch there to um, correspond to the staging block was, was huge. and. Uh, There there were moments where I was concerned that that was all that we were going to be doing, just problem solving this. But what was wonderful was in the spirit of real time, we were able to problem solve and address things quickly in the space together. And this involved, you know, uh, one of the developers was in Argentina, the sound director was in Florida. People were dialing in um, and collaborating from all over the world. And the mixed reality stage was this living malleable environment that authentically bridged the, the virtual and the real. And that as a result was really exciting because previously, The motion capture that I've been exposed to has always been much more of a painting by numbers, premeditated um, process That the actual performance capture was quite rigid. Whereas this fluidity that was offered in this real-time setting was extremely new, exciting, and it allowed for more
0: creativity. That's fascinating. Uh, It really is. And... I must say from watching it you definitely succeeded in the illusion of creating a much larger space um, for the performance uh, it was yeah it was very um, it's hard to believe actually but it was just such a you know seven by seven s- space you were working within um to, let's go back to this idea of the role of the audiences, changing or the audience changing how do you um yeah tell me more about your thoughts on that and perhaps by describing a little bit about how the audience participates in dream
1: it was always our plan to explore interactivity and um allow online audiences to engage and play a role within the production of Dream. Well, one of the design challenges was we were targeting audiences who, for starters, some of which weren't going to interact. They were watching a passive stream. The research that was taking place by iTunes Media and um, the broader consortium informed us pretty early on that we needed an aspect of this that was non-interactive, passive as you, um, yeah, yeah I- I effectively passive audiences watching a stream, much like you would watch a YouTube stream. So in the writing process, we had to be mindful that that passive audience that was effectively going to be the larger majority of our viewers had to toe the line and had to make sense of what was going on whilst others were interacting. And we didn't really want the experience to be a twitch stream uh, experience. And what I mean by that is that you know on on twitch it's it's commonly accepted that people observing others playing um, a computer game that that's a certain audience experience but it is, Effectively, um, from the perspective of Dream, it wasn't something that we wanted to do. We had all kinds of grand plans. We really wanted the initial dream experience to be a full-screen experience. That didn't happen for various reasons, but it I'd say that the largest reason why um, that didn't happen, and we went with this um, split-screen interactive multi-window approach was access. We were designing something that Um, Digital natives, um, we were hoping would uh, take to like a duck to water, but those who were completely new to any concept relating to interaction, um, we had to make sure that it was inclusive for those as well. And through various processes, we landed on this concept of fireflies, using fireflies to um, effectively, give the audience a role of lighting department in some to some extent, the costume department. The fireflies, when Puck collects them, end up orbiting Puck's body, um, as well as playing a um, a, a complementary role to the voice of Nick Cave, who was the voice of the forest, and so. Fireflies, we settled on it as this idea that the audience can, in fact, light Puck's way. And um, we were excited by that. And and personally, I think that we've just lifted the lid on interaction. It's um, what the, the most exciting aspect of the dream project was that we got a glimpse of the possibilities of what you can do with this in the future. And I hope very much that people who, who um, uh, engage with the dream um, project uh, from a maker perspective, those who are interested in making productions like it, I hope that they realize that inviting the audience in and giving the audience a, a, a role is possible. And further storytelling Richer um, storytelling can be applied to that To a dialogue between makers and the audience
0: How central do you sort of see gaming You mentioned Twitch obviously as as a reference point How central do you see gaming or play as being the kind of language modality to um, underpins I, I, this
1: from my perspective i'm keen
0: transformation to or evolution things in away from selling. gaming
1: i i'm hugely interested in gaming and if you look at um what's happening um at the moment with fortnite for example you know 350 million uh fortnite players worldwide but if you look at what they're doing it's not necessarily gaming that is their primary motive when um, tuning into Fortnite. There's a social aspect. There's a hole in, you know, um, Tim Sweeney, um, uh, who's behind Epic and um, who own Fortnite, um, is very much pro-metaverse as well. And so from my perspective, I'm interested as a creative entity as MLF is to explore what gaming offers in terms of conventions and modes of interaction. But I think as soon as a user has an Xbox or PlayStation controller or a Nintendo Switch in their hands, they are engaging in, um, in the gaming uh, sphere and what I think is happening is, is is much more on the metaverse side of things with what MLF is exploring and that is cherry picking some of the wonderful aspects of interaction and the capabilities of what um, games engines such as Unreal Engine provide but for different artistic purposes. I think there's a, a an extraordinary amount of artistry going on within the games sector. It's extraordinary, you know, and, and in fact, it's just booming uh, as ever. But I think that um, film practitioners, theatre practi- practitioners, people involved in immersive arts, we can get involved as well. And and effectively, I think the most interesting aspect of this is that new art forms are likely to emerge and new, um, new opportunities for audiences um, to engage in artistic work is, is emerging. Um, thanks to the tools and hardware and parallel development of things such as infrastructure, you know, 5G, as well as, um, the fact that there's more digital literacy, um, it, incredibly, um, and you know, who, who'd have thought that a tragic pandemic would prompt digital literacy, but um, there's certainly a huge uptake um, and an uptick in um, people engaging in interactive works.
0: You're listening to the Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with interactive experience pioneer and co-founder of Marshmallow Laser Feast, Robin McNichols. If you are enjoying the show and want to find out more about virtual production and the future of screen storytelling, then do check out our new six-part video series on this, Virtual Production Revolution, is available now to watch at the home of Future of Film, Live, And I start this section by asking Robin about the genesis and history of Marshmallow Laser Feast, or MLF.
1: MLF has been going um, for years now, probably a decade, and... We met, uh, initially there were three friends who ended up working together. So Barney Steele, Memo Acton and myself um, just met on the circuit. And I think we were fortunate at the time that we met in that there was um, a kind of foundation that had um, paved um, the way for MLF such as um the early flash scene um um, uh, the early internet allowed um glimpses of the creative potential for interactive works um and this crossed over into areas where um from my own um perspective i've I, i i trained um in film and television and always had an interest in electronic music and in um at at the time i was studying there were like surges of really quite compelling um motion graphics scenes. so entities like 1.0 were emerging and interesting um um makers such as the designers republic that of course then turned into um with matt pike um the wonderful universal everything and these is the, the these early um creative outputs uh early on were reduced to small splash pages on websites with very like there wasn't any broadband there wasn't any any kind of um production value and so um but there was always the sense that um the possibilities especially um with the inclusion of um real-time 3d um in the most motion graphics realm became really exciting and so when i was studying And um, early in my career, seeing entities like the French Collective Plex, um, who were distributing their work on DVDs um, as well as online and through um, distributors like 1.0, served as inspiration, I think. Um, And as a result, I got into involved and interested in the creative uh, creative coding community. And that was mainly through my good friend, Memo, who is still, um, he's not with MLF anymore, but he's doing extraordinary um, work within the um, creative code community. And he's an artist in his own right. Um, But effectively, MLF, we're interested in exploring the world beyond our senses. We've reached this point where we can utilize technology and create multi-sensory experiences. And lots of those experiences are non verbal. They're, they're um, spaces and interactive environments that employ different forms of storytelling. And from my position, I want to explore narrative work within that setting. Um, and I just want to explore using the techniques we've developed over years for our immersive art installations and see where we can go and see how we can use cinema as an inspiration to further develop um, this immersive scene um, that tells stories in ways other than audio visual you know you can tell stories through the fingertips you can tell stories through scent and um what we've done over time is is develop um tools and relationships with specialists and um and a community and a culture within mlf that is curious and inspired by technology and what it can do to enhance the human experience.
0: And sorry to ask such a base question, but how do you get paid? How do you monetize the work that you do?
1: I think it's a really important question to ask about how how we manage uh, things financially. And really it's a mixture. Um, we self-fund and invest in our work. And um, f- at any given moment in time, we have a commercial project running. And so there's um, a commercial foundation um, to MLF's operations. At the moment, well, we, we've been working for years now on a, a long-term project with a museum. Um, We work um, as directors in the advertising world. We work um, uh, in in various ways, Um, but the main focus really is on self-initiated installations that we're very passionate about. And these are often mixtures of Different funding channels: some private galleries, some um, um, funded by um, uh, public funding as well. So it's a real mix. And what we are fortunate to have is a nimble and a dedicated production team who are really good at fundraising. Who um, help with all the kind of uh cash flow issues and and things like that and over the years we've um developed a better understanding of how much these things cost and what kind of personnel are really required um to realize the uh, usually quite ambitious visions that we're putting out there um and and i would say that as well as um, bootstrapping the work, the R&D that goes on um, at any given point in time, there's a lot of R&D taking place within MLF as well. And that's critical to our organisation. And that's why I think that the Dream project was um, particularly um, good for MLF in that we were able to try things out and to learn you know we we were we were able to make mistakes and and to um carry out those critical r d processes that um hopefully we can share um our battle wounds with the world and um and and with our internal community to just make better products moving forward not that i'd ever say that are work i don't generally refer to our um productions as products as it were but they're artworks really and um and yeah it's it's difficult but it's difficult for any small organization and we've just made it work and um um yeah that it requires a lot of passion and dedication and there's certainly easier ways to make a living but i think the benefits are that we're learning all the time and it it genuinely spices things up and keeps things fresh and um i don't think i've learned as much as i have done on on the dream project it was such an immense project to be involved in and um i'll always look back on that experience fondly
0: that's really helpful i think it's i mean thanks for answering that because i do think it's it's important to share that kind of you know th- those perspectives because um you know this is a, this is a question right how to fund art and how to sustainably tell stories and It sounds like you have a a variety of approaches and flexibility, you know, flexible, you know, you're you're nimble, you're flexible, and you have different strands. Um, So jumping back to dream, and you know, as an amazing experience in itself, but also something where you learnt so much, what are you looking forward to particularly in terms of, taking forward or you know what were some of the biggest um opportunities or lessons you 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 could take from that project
1: i think the, the most compelling thing that we've taken from developing dream is where it can go next seeing the possibilities of where now the virtual environment is built The virtual characters have been created. The music, sound design, the story world is there. And the prospect of furthering conversations around nonlinear narrative, embodiment. the prospect of allowing audiences to embody the characters that we've created, seeing um, the different perspectives that we presented in a linear fashion um in an open world scenario is something that we can offer to audiences but it will require um more time really you know that um it was um the production of dream was designed at 30 frames a second for example and um vr productions um, have to be um, reaching a minimum 90 frames a second um, uh, to avoid any nausea or um, things like that and so there's there's various adaptations that we know that we optimizations if effectively that um, we realize crikey, we, we could port this whole unreal world to VR and and to observe and see what happens. Within um, that virtual environment, with an audience tuning in, is something that I just—it's—it's it, it, it's just so exciting.
0: Wow, wow, that's, that's that is very exciting. So, I mean, in the crude, in the cruder sense, I know it's more complicated than this, but you've built the assets, you've built the world, and now you can. That world is is something which can be. Can be experienced. I, I, you, I could be become puck. <laughs> that, uh, that's for example. exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, amazing. And, and and there's
1: it brings lots of new conversations um, uh, to the storytelling process as well, such as uh, telepresence. You know, you could have a performer in Japan um, dialing in to the same virtual production that is taking place in Stratford-Von-Avon with a cluster of um, audience members who happen to be dotted around the world. And I I just think that there's um, really exciting potential there.
0: Yeah, so much, right? Did it, uh, you mentioned sort of building the story world? How important do you see that going forward? You know, in terms of your work, and your world building, thinking about this, that process at the outset.
1: Well, I think generally filmmakers are always creating the story world, and I think that speak to any. Uh, member of the art department, and um, in the kind of traditional film sense, and they know this that the, the fabric of the story world intimately, down to the minute details, and so I don't necessarily think that the creative, imaginary process of creating a story world has has changed it's just that the windows into the story worlds are changing and what i mean by that is that using the production dream as an example well we know that windows into the story world are laptops and phones and tablets but another window could be projections on a stage another window could be some ar glasses um, or a vr headset and I think that that is really fascinating because it, it it means that the story world and the opportunity to add more depth, detail, and perspectives and narrative strands opens up. And sometimes you, you just don't need the multitude of windows in. I'm not saying that every production should involve multiple windows but from a creative standpoint there's fascinating opportunities to add complementary narratives different perspectives non-linear storytelling um to engage with audiences more intimately as well and i feel that any creative entity moving forward, you know, we need to look at audience trends. We need to look at the fact that people are congregating in Fortnite. But similarly, people are binging episodes of um, extraordinary productions on Netflix, as well as snacking on things like TikTok and Snapchat. And all of these, Uh, from my perspective, are windows into into story worlds. And I think joining, the joining up and holistic approach um, is something that from um, a a maker perspective is just so exciting because it allows me as a director to work with writers uh, to allow to add um, to 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 bring those story worlds to life um, in in more detail.
0: Very exciting, Robin. We're coming to the end of our time. It's been absolutely fascinating, but I do have a couple of other questions I'd like to put to you. And the first is, what would be your advice to an emerging storyteller, someone who is wants to Tell tell stories, create art in today's environment. Where would they start? What would your advice be? My advice to any um, new
1: emerging storyteller that's interested in um, virtual production in um, the immersive arts is to just... Realise that in the in the in the form of in in some cases the festivals play an in, a hugely important role. So festivals such as um, the Sundance New Frontier, the um, IDFA uh, Doc Labs. Um, there's a there's a swathe of them out there, including in the UK. You know, um, Sheffield's uh, Doc Fest, for example where you get the chance to meet people. And I would say that don't be afraid of reaching out to others. Um, We use the internet um, a great deal as a means of breaking the ice and saying, look, hey, we love your work. Um, Have you ever considered um, collaborating? And um, so a lot of the time we're reaching out to practitioners um via the internet and um uh, making contacts that way but nothing beats face to face and that's really difficult to say that um during a pandemic when everything is closed but um I've got to say it's those chance moments at festivals att- attending festivals attending um virtual get-togethers um are ways that, um, from my perspective are uh, um, really important elements and, and, and the lifeblood of this scene. I'd also say don't don't be don't be um, put off by the technical jibber jabber. Um, don't feel as though you need to be a programmer um, or have in that respect um, an ability to understand, Particle systems and complex physics uh, simulations to realise immersive works. There are experts who can help you with that, and I think that the role of producers um, is hugely important. In um, and and, and com- communication is really important too, um, and understanding where your specialisms lie. That's um, that's another aspect that I've learn I've given up on learning complex particle, <laughs> particle physics
0: <laughs> uh, yeah no that's, I think that's really powerful advice you don't have to be an expert in everything and and build your network um, and hopefully we'll be able to do that in, in person soon and yeah it just reminds me how important that is thinking about our summit and, and what work we do um so lastly Robin it's I have to ask you the question it's it's uh, we ask us of all of our guests what is the future of film and please take that any way any direction you'd like to go but I'd love to get your thoughts
1: I think with the when presented with the question what's the future of film my initial feeling is that The future of film is safe and it is in the hands of those who are just dead set on getting their ideas out of their head and into the world. Um, But I feel as though from an industry standpoint, we're going to see much more um, convergence um which is something that has been talked about for years and years but the merging of art forms and the emergence of new ones and that's what i'm most excited about is is this emergence of new art forms that um draw from film television theater as well as gaming and art and i um um, I'm kind of certain that technology is not going to save us. I think that the, the the future of film depends on good writers as much as it always has. Um, and so regardless of the windows into the story worlds and what have you, um, if the future is to be safe with film, we need to maintain our faith in the writing process. Um, And I'm excited to see writers, new writers adapting to the new technologies that are emerging as well.
0: So that was my conversation with Robin McNichols, co-founder of Marshmallow Laser Feast, recorded earlier in 2021. If you found this interesting, then I would definitely check out our new limited video series on real-time technology and filmmaking. Virtual Production Revolution is available now at the home of Future Film, futureoffilm.live. So that's it for this episode. I'd like to say thank you again for listening, and I look forward to welcoming you back to the podcast very soon.